Thanks for tuning in to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your practice of play theory, a life strategy that helps you achieve happiness through hope, creativity, and validation of self and others. Life is challenging, but we don't have to sit on the sidelines while difficult circumstances crush our dreams. Here at the Happiness Playbook, we know that our attitude plays a huge role in how we handle the challenges that come our way. So listen up as we focus on the positive and share tips and practices to improve your happiness game. I'm Larie Florence, and I'll be your host for episode 99 of the Happiness Playbook, where we'll be talking about humanity's number one fear. It may seem unreasonable and even a bit silly, but if you stick with me by the end, we'll have a clear understanding of why we need to respect even irrational fears and how we can use play theory to overcome them and feel less anxious and stressed. But before we get to that, it's time for our team huddle. This week, I want to share a personal note I received from my friend about her young adult son's continued use of play theory years after he was involved in Take Note Troops program, which focuses on play theory. She shared how her son, who is currently living in Croatia, had been having a rough time. She reminded him of his many talents, including his ability to look outward, a skill he had developed while learning about play theory. In their next conversation, he was happy to report that he had had a much better week. He'd remembered to apply the principle of looking outward and had been able to easily converse and share in conversations with others in positive, uplifting ways. When she asked how he'd turned his experience around, he said, play theory really helped me. I'm just good at it. My friend said, it was only one season five years ago, a couple of shows and a couple of play theory classes, but the impact was life-altering still seeing the fruits. Now, what my friend didn't realize when she sent that text to me was that it was my birthday. The best birthday gift ever. Seriously, I love hearing how the principles of play theory are helping people live happier, more fulfilled lives. Thanks again to all who share their experiences with play theory with me, either in the comments or in social media or personally. It really is fuel in the tank to keep me going. On to our play of the week. Can you guess which fear we're going to cover? Here's a clue. I just may be experiencing it even as I'm recording this. Glossophobia. This word comes from the Greek glosso, meaning tongue, and phobos, which means dread or fear. Together, they mean fear of public speaking. This is the number one fear that we all share. 75% of us, according to the National Institutes of Mental Health, say yes. Glossophobia, the fear of public speaking, is the number one phobia in the U.S. Just in case you're wondering, clowns came in with 7.6% of us for as our worst nightmare, making them officially more frightening than ghosts which came in at 7.3%. Zombies, though, outrank clowns, which I think is totally logical, coming in at 8.9%. I'm much better now, but when I was young, I absolutely had a serious case of glossophobia. When I was 13, I was asked to give a two-minute talk at my church 
in front of the whole congregation. I had two weeks' notice, which was great, except that my life was absolutely ruined for those two weeks. I could hardly eat or sleep. My feet were icy cold and sweaty. Ooh. When the fateful hour finally arrived, I remember sitting there looking out at the congregation, awaiting my turn, and trying to picture the audience in their skivvies. I remember thinking, dang it, that's not helping at all. Have you ever heard that advice? If you're nervous to speak in front of others, imagine them in their underwear. Well, it didn't work for me. Even the rich and famous get stage fright, brought on by a case of glossophobia. It's just so fun to say. The famous comedian Carol Burnett was so successful, she had her own TV show, The Carol Burnett Show. But guess what? She would get so nervous before going on stage, she had, she'd throw up before many of her performances. That's crazy. She's obviously successful enough to have her own TV show, so what did she have to be so afraid of? We're all afraid of being laughed at, which is hugely different than being laughed with. Is that grammatically correct? Whatever. It makes my point. We don't want to be ridiculed. We also fear being discovered to be wrong. We also fear being boring. Why? What's so bad about being boring? All of these relate to being rejected. And rejection is serious business. To our amygdala, the part of our brain wired for survival, the part responsible for the fight, flight, or freeze response, rejection means death. Maybe not immediate death, but a long, drawn-out, worse-than-immediate kind of slow death. To our primitive brain, inclusion means survival. None of us could survive on our own. Even those interesting folks that star on the show naked and afraid aren't alone. We need others to share the load of growing and preparing and storing and gathering food. We need others for our social and mental well-being. Even the staunchest introvert suffers when cut off from all human contact. That's why solitary confinement is such an effective punishment. It becomes excruciatingly painful for our brains that are highly wired for a socially interactive existence. We need each other. So when we're faced with a situation that to our well-meaning protective brain appears to increase our odds of mass rejection, the situation feels extremely dangerous. And this signals to our body that it's time to get ready to fight, flee, or freeze. This physical response can look like physical tension, shaking, increased blood pressure, rapid heartbeat, sweating, and forgetting what you're about to say because our brain is desperately trying to reroute essential resources for the perceived imminent crisis. I remember standing up to give a speech once and feeling pretty good about it until my knees literally started to knock together because my legs were shaking so bad. How many of you out there can relate? Tell us about it in the comments or message us on Instagram. What do you do to combat this real physical reaction to something that our deeper brain views as a very real challenge to our survival? Most people try to avoid speaking in public. For some, the prospect is so unpleasant, they turn down jobs, decline promotions, avoid interviews, and drop out of classes. This may work in the short run, but in the end, it narrows your prospects 
and will increase your overall anxiety and lower the possibility of living your best life. So here are a few things that can help calm your nerves when faced with the prospect of possible humiliation and rejection, which is always on the table every time you stand before a group of your peers, be it at a social gathering, in a presentation for work, or making a toast at your daughter's wedding. The first thing you can try is to be present. This seems counterintuitive when what you really want to do is run. But if you can remember why you're there in the first place, it will help tremendously. So be present and remember what you really want in that moment to communicate something you feel is important and valuable. Stay in the moment and focus on what is in your control. Don't stay in fear by focusing on the possibility of making a mistake in the future. Be in the now. Let go of what is not in your control and play. If you're relaxed, others will be as well. Have you ever been to a performance and the person is so nervous, you become nervous for them? That's no fun for anyone. And really, people spend far less time thinking of you than you think they do. When you feel fear welling up in unreasonable ways, ask yourself if there's any basis to it. Will people stop associating with you if you fumble on your delivery? Will they blacklist you from the community if they find you to be boring? What if you say something wrong? Then let it go and keep on keeping on. Play theory for the win. Just let it go. The next thing you can do is to rewire your brain. Take time beforehand to visualize feeling calm and prepared and peaceful while imagining that you're giving the presentation or that speech. This will do wonders to calm the amygdala and signal that the situation is not an actual threat to be feared. Then when the brain is calm, you'll have more brain power available to get through the unpleasantness of standing before the group. If you want to improve, you'll have to be open to feedback, which is a challenge. If you have a trustworthy friend or family member that you can ask, ask them to let you know what they think of your delivery. You can soften the possible pain by asking them to give you some positive comments as well. After all, a spoonful of sugar does help the medicine go down. If there is truth to some of your concerns about speaking in public, acknowledge it. Maybe you could have prepared more. Maybe you're not the world's best speaker, and maybe that's okay. Maybe, just maybe, though you'll survive and some people may even be blessed by what you have to share. Will everyone value what you have to say and subsequently value you? Nope, and that's okay. You'll be okay without them. If you're still anxious about your delivery, ask yourself what you can learn from this effort and make a plan to work on what was lacking so you can see improvement the next time you have to speak in front of others. Remember last week's episode where we talked about how if you want to change something, you have to start where you're really at, not where you wish you were or where you think others think you are? We talked about how when your dog is behaving in ways that you perceive as naughty, there's a reason behind it. And once you can see that, you'll have much more success in redirecting their behavior in positive ways. We learned that it's not helpful to just say no and expect the dog to stop the bad behavior and start doing the good behavior. It takes redirection, training, and reinforcement after you've figured out what the dog really needs. It's the same idea with glossophobia. It's not going to work to just tell yourself to stop feeling anxious, no matter how many times you repeat it. 
That's the bad news. The good news is you can manage this fear and stop the anxiety. I'm living proof. I have to speak in front of groups often now. I talk at show orientations and give speeches at cast parties. I teach lessons for my church and also teach classes for Take Note Troop. Occasionally, I have to lead a workshop. I also sometimes give the announcements at our Shakespeare in the Park shows in front of hundreds of audience members. And I even do a podcast now. You may have heard of it, The Happiness Playbook. Here's the number one thing that's helped me to overcome my fear of public speaking. And I'm not talking about imagining the audience in their underwear. Instead, I look outward and think about the people I'm trying to communicate with and how the message I'm trying to share can help them. I think about how the message I'm sharing might be valuable. Is there something I'm saying that will be what is needed for them? Can they understand me? Can they hear me? Can I make them smile? Because smiling feels good. Thinking of them in their underwear doesn't help them. Contrast that looking outward with the inward focus of the thought, how can I make them like me? Where is the control there? With them. They get to choose if they're going to like you, no matter what you do. Once I had a work associate that no matter what I did, she seemed angry at me. I found myself walking on eggshells around her. Nothing I did could please her. Then one day she admitted that she didn't like me because I reminded her of her sister that had treated her poorly. In the end, there was nothing I could do to change how she viewed me as long as she continued to attach me to her unpleasant sister. So instead of trying to make people like you, try asking, what can I share that will serve them? How can I help them hear me and understand me? Or how can I make this enjoyable for them? This puts the power back in your court as you ask what steps you can take regardless of the audience's opinion about you. Some people love to hear themselves speak. I'm not one of them. When that happens, I feel like I'm being imposed upon. The speaker is having a great time without any regard to my feelings. There's no connection. On the other hand, when someone is interested in my feelings, it comes through and I find myself more interested in what they have to say and more patient with their delivery, even if it's lacking in any way. Don't believe me? Go watch any video of Mr. Rogers talking to the camera in his opening and closing monologues. He had this phenomenal ability to see past the camera lens and into the face of the child sitting in their living room listening to him. He said that he always tried to do just that. Picture a child on the receiving end right in front of him listening and responding to what he was saying. That is part of the power Fred had and continues to have as his program programs continue to be shared around the world. So the next time you have to do something that you really don't want to do, like speak in public, remember to look outward and see the people in front of you for what they are, companions on this part of your life's journey. Ask yourself what you can share that they will value, and then get out of your own way as you give them the gift that you've prepared. This ability to think of others' needs has the power to transform us into heroes who run into burning buildings, risking our own lives to save another's. It emboldens us to endure giving away a kidney to someone who can't live without it, 
or go through a painful bone marrow harvesting procedure to give hope and healing to someone who can't make it on their own. It gives us the courage to model bravery as we comfort another who is more afraid than us. For our play of the week, the next time you're afraid of something, I'm not talking about ghosts and clowns and zombies. I mean, something like making a presentation or just speaking up in front of others. Take a deep breath and connect back to the current moment and not a future possibility of judgment and rejection. And instead, try to see the person or people that you're talking to more clearly. Think of their needs and then try to meet them. Maybe it's something as simple as listening to what they're saying. Maybe it's standing taller with the shoulders back and assuming a posture of ease so that they'll feel more at ease also. Maybe you speak more articulately, hoping that they'll understand and not have to strain to hear what you're saying. I promise when you look outward and do it for them, you too will be served. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the podcast with others that you think it will benefit. That's our goal. We want everyone to succeed in life and the play theory game plans helped do just that. Next week is our 100th episode. So I thought we'd do something special. As you know, happiness isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you make happen. So we're going to do just that and have a mini happiness workout that you don't want to miss. Till then, stay in the saddle and keep your eye on the prize. You got this.